Hello, everybody, and welcome to our Crushing Comics Book Club reading and discussing Grant Morrison's Batman. And this is a really exciting episode because we're actually reading Grant Morrison's Batman in this episode for the first time. We are opening up to the front of the Grant Morrison Batman Volume 1 Omnibus, although there are many ways to read this material, including on DC Universe. And in this episode, we're going to tackle the original Batman and Son arc. That's in issues 655 through 658. And then we're going to be reading an additional four stories that come after that. After a brief break, John Ostrander writes a a four-part story called Grotesque, starting from 659. Do not read that. It has nothing to do with Morrison. It is not referred to by Morrison. You pick back up in 663 and read for four more issues, and the omnibus lays this all out very, very clearly. Two reminders for our discussion today. One is that Grant Morrison recently has discussed that their pronouns are they, them. And so we are going to do our best to respect that, as everyone should. And if we make a mistake, we will correct and move on as you should. The other thing is that we will briefly, in our discussion of issue 656 and going forward from that, be discussing some topics related to sexual assault. We do give a brief content warning as we begin that discussion, but just so you are forewarned. Before we dig into Batman and Son, Freya, I understand that there are two brief story excerpts in the Grant Morrison Batman Volume 1 Omnibus before we get to 655. What are they and uh, should people be worried about fully understanding them quite yet? So these are from the 52 series that came after Infinite Crisis series. Um, And we, we have issue 30 and... 47, not even the complete issues, but the Batman version aspects of it in here. Mm -hmm. And both of those stories kind of come in play in a separate story arc that we're going to talk about in a future um, episode. So I, I mean, you know, you can definitely read it if you're following the omnibus, but uh, you be warned that you will be like, okay, why were they there? For the first, you know, at least for this episode or all the material that we're covering this episode. So um, I think like we will be probably be, it will be more interesting to talk about it at a later date. Yeah, go ahead and read them. But our in-depth discussion of those will come not too long from now when we dig into the stories that refer to them more specifically. Yeah, and That's when right. you read it, you're going to see that it's not that right. <laughs> they're, they're not the most fleshed out parts of even a 52. But yeah, you know, hey, it's important for later in a sense. <laughs> right. So. So we find ourselves beginning with Batman 655, and we're going to talk about this arc, some elements of this arc, all at once, but there's some issue-by-issue elements that we're going to try to tackle in order. So we start with 655 here, and right off the bat, Morrison is giving us a status quo, right? That Batman has really cleaned up a lot of the crime in Gotham, save for a few scant people, Two-Face and Joker. And the implication I got, having not read all of 52, was that this is because he he came back from 52, really looking to looking to make a change. Saw the man in the mirror, wanted yep. to make a change. Uh, and and two things happen that are really worth discussing. One is that there's some kind of rogue cop in a Batman uniform who shoots the Joker in the face, but everybody thinks it was Batman. Uh, and the other thing that happens is that Alfred really thinks that Batman should focus on being Bruce Wayne. Or is it that Bruce Wayne should focus less on being Batman these two things turn into big themes in Grant Morrison's run. So, mm-hmm. Harry, why don't we start with, um, why don't we actually start with the Batman-Bruce Wayne aspect? What do you think? Do you think Batman is the main identity? Or do you think Bruce Wayne is the main identity of Batman? Both in general and as we're beginning this story here. That is, like, such, like, one of those, like, 
oddly complicated questions and the answer kind of shifts on which area you're in. I mean, at this point in the comics, you know, we are coming off of Infinite Crisis, which is kind of like the culmination of some very more conflicted stories with Batman, some pretty grim times, some horrible things that happened with Tim Drake. And you see uh, Alfred saying, basically, you are much more Batman right now than Bruce Wayne. And we're going to have to find a way to get you back into the light here. So, you know, it's interesting where that question, I feel like he becomes more Bruce Wayne as the story goes on and he becomes more at peace with both sides of himself. It's almost, you know, it's less of like, is one pretending to be the other more like they are kind of both at the same time because Grant Morrison's uh, uh, interpretation of this character is a lot, you know, not like crazily so, but like a lot more uh, low-key lighthearted, kind of like dry humor, um, kind of taking time to enjoy himself. Uh, you know, a lot of his idea of this character is, you know, Bruce Wayne is a billionaire billionaire philanthropist and he should take some time to go on great trips and talk to supermodels and, you know, have sexy adventures. But that's down the road. And, you know, so I would say, like, right now it's it's more Batman than anything, especially after his um, crazy trip in uh, 52. But it is learning to become more at peace with Bruce Wayne and have and have these things kind of melding in the middle. Uh, that's been always been my read of it, especially after, you know, all these comics where it has been just uh, particularly grim um, across the board at DC, but for Batman, for sure. Freya, what do you think about this? Do you think right now that Batman, can Batman and Bruce Wayne really coexist? I think as the time passed on, he became more Batman and he forgot what it is to be Bruce Wayne but then again who is Bruce Wayne because it's almost always that he's stuck in the age 10 like or whenever his parents (laughs) died you know it's pretty much just you know it's stuck there um and so and then Batman or that version of it just kind of moved on um I think like the more I I kind of took away like it's like when Alfred like, like, oh, you're using your growly voice yes. in a normal talking, mm-hmm. normal talking, like, you know, and I just imagine immediately Christian Bale. <laughs> I'm not worried about you I'm not So imagine like, you know, someone sitting there, like, you know, doing something and then just speaking to you in that voice, you would be upset too. And you would tell them like, hey, you need to focus on your other part. So I feel like Bat, uh, like you know, Alfred is just saying that because he's just annoyed by the whole idea of that. That is like, ugh, like gross, like you know, not rah, like you know, please cringe. Um, but then um, the another thing was that um, he actually like there was like one thing that made me laugh right off the bat is that he takes uh, Joker up, right? And mm-hmm. we all know that the whole Bane and then the bat breaking and all that, there's the same, very much of the same visual, but he just throws him in the garbage. <laughs> I thought that, that was the funniest thing ever. And then that was like the first out the of the door, like, you know, Morrison setting up the status quo and everything. Uh, one thing I would say though, a very good side reading of this is uh, Batman by Paul Dini, the omnibus, or Dini, mm-hmm. Paul Dini, the omnibus us because mm-hmm. it kind of like you know everything that talks about like oh the streets like you know i put away all the all yeah. the criminals and everything the uh, more aspect of that is actually 
explored in that oh really and yeah yeah yeah, like you know because riddler is now uh like a A detective detective. yeah he's like he has a detective agency who goes head to head with batman all the time uh harley quinn later comes in poison ivy later comes in so it's a very good side companion uh that kind of explores that avenue of it and there's also there's a james robison batman series that's like right when he comes back from 52 and he's actually left a lot of the crime fighting to to uh harvey dent as two-faced who's had his face repaired and yes. he's actually working as that's why in this it's saying like two-face is still around is because for most of this he's been actually helping out on the side of the angels so i mean i really like this opening uh for the um for the status quo because it i mean i i can't you can't look at this opening and not compare it to the beginning of his new x-men run if uh free i don't know if you've read that but it's very much like a addressing of like this is the status quo this is what we're used to this is very familiar and now we got to throw this out into the garbage and try something completely different uh so it's just such like a a exaggerated but very familiar thing where joker's like i killed batman in front of some disabled helpless children (laughs) like it's it's so like 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 exaggerated but like it's time for something new in a sense which i think is is fun Right. And uh, and it's also like kind of sets you up with like that it's going to be something very different. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that it's like, oh, we have seen time and time again that Batman will go through the rogue gallery one after the another. Um, but this is the first time where it's like, forget about it. And then also like uh, the go- uh, Commissioner Gordon just sitting in the hospital bed and just laughing his head off was very mm-hmm. disturbing. You know, there's two things disturbs me about Gordon. It's like him having like rock hard abs and then him sitting <laughs> lying on the bed, like hospital bed and laughing like that. It's, well, that it's was, very disturbing. Thing that's a great Gordon. scene. Yeah, that's a great scene where Gordon's like making fun of the person who died in the paper. Like oh, how they even find his neck when they killed him. And then Batman like makes the same joke, which is like Batman's making kind of like low key jokes in this, which is already like a Sad difference fact. in kind of the. Yeah, it's, it's like. <laughs> It's like a difference in the flavor that you're used to, which I just right from the beginning, there's like it's a different kind of interpretation, which I like. And and then um, no, but the thing is like Gordon said that doesn't mean I'm getting better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually that sets it up. That sets up whole fun. that's like the whole summary of their relationship as well. <laughs> like it's like, what is it? Ugh. But yeah. <laughs> Well, I think I, I, part of what's so interesting and is going to continue to be interesting for me about this is I just don't have the DC experience that the two of you do mm-hmm. in pre-New 52. So oh, I don't I, either. Well, you do some, though. I mean, you've read the Paul Dini on this. I've, I've read very, very little DC, especially from the yeah. 2000s. And I think that's something that you both brought up is that Marson is playing in an established continuity here. I think it's really easy to start reading this story and assume that Marsden has just wiped the slate clean. No, uh, yeah. But no, and I and I think that people assume that in New X-Men too, and they certainly did more in New X-Men, but New X-Men does sometimes interact with other titles in the X-Line, like Bishop arrives and Bishop's got his own side title at that point. And I mm-hmm. think that it's actually especially in the more modern era of Morrison's writing, a little bit of a misnomer to be like, well, they don't, they just are always doing their own thing. It doesn't connect to anything else. No, Morrison loves continuity. And I think that it's interesting for me because I assume that when I read this first 10 years ago and to hear you saying all these other things, I'm like, oh, I want to look at this Dean run. I want to look at this Robinson run. So that's interesting to me. But the other thing I really drilled in on and Faria brought it up was the Bruce Wayne's voice and how his voice connects with his identity. Because we've all, we all have phone voice, right? Right. We when we're talking mm-hmm. to people like I certainly speak in a deeper voice when I'm not just How speaking to friends and casually. 
I'm like, hello, this is Peter Marinari speaking. I, I put it down here more, right? Yeah, oh, it's Batman. Uh, and so um, I think that it's interesting because his voice is like a tell. It's like a bad actor, you know? The actor could be yeah. going through all the motions, hitting all the marks, saying all the lines, even with good inflection, but maybe they're forgetting to change something about their voice or their carriage. And I think Marson, right off the bat, is playing with this idea that Bruce is a master of disguise, but he has forgotten how to disguise himself as Bruce Wayne. He's forgotten yeah. actually quite what it takes. And Alfred, who he, in this run, he talks about being this, you know, actor and former secret agent and all these other things, is basically acting like an acting coach to be like, let's see if we can bring this believable Bruce Wayne back. And I think that mm-hmm. things that... Oh, do you want to say something there for you? No, no, no. Oh, just that something that Harry said that like really clicked for me is this idea of, is is the Bruce Wayne he's portraying the best fit for who he actually wants to be? Like, presumably... It's not always, let me start that sentence again. Which is work, being Bruce Wayne or being Batman? It seems like being Bruce Wayne is work. And we all have the selves who we are at work. And Alfred is basically coaching him and being like, I, I don't know if this version of it um, is very believable at all. And I think that, you know, there's a lot that we could talk about the way people um, code switch in different groups. We could talk about phone voice versus not. We could talk about people changing their voice to pass in certain situations and and be seen as one of a group. But I think that that's all kind of um, encoded in here and why Morrison is focusing on his voice rather than his activities. Like he can go and do all the philandering or whatever. But does it does it come off as true? So um, so, oh, so the ahead, thing is one thing. No, one thing I wanted to mention that the Batman's voice has always been an interesting thing for me because I don't know whether it's because of Kevin Conroy, like mm, you know, he, who does all he the established. Yeah. yeah, he establishes Batman voice. Like it's like you cannot yeah. read a Batman story without hearing that. Um, but then also like this is something that the Dark Knight trilogy also played with. Uh, yeah, that the. Whenever I see him in like the the Batman, there is no way to kind of hear the growly voice. Like there is no way that someone who is dressing up like that and say, "Hey guys, what's up?" You know. Uh, <laughs> versus when you, when I read like you know Dick, uh, Dick Grayson as Batman, I actually don't hear that. Mm. I don't. It does yeah. doesn't. It just doesn't come in to my head. So it's like it's something like it's like a cultural, like it's like pretty much like a cultural thing for not not like not cultural as in like my culture, like but it's like a, you know what I mean. But pop yeah, culture it's like thing pop that, culture. Yeah, of course. Yeah, pop culture thing of like a Batman voice being a thing. You know, yeah. like it's it's a part of an identity versus not being Bruce Wayne. Well, in mentioning pop culture, I think, you know, we're going to touch on so many things, but I think we can start to roll into the next issue a little bit, because one of the main themes in issue 656 is what I would call Bruce versus modern art. He, it's, it's so satisfying, and it's so Marcin. I love this. Uh, he's uh. in this very highbrow modern art showing. Some of the art is specifically spoofing the works of Roy Lichtenstein. I don't know. Yes. I know, I kind of recognize some of the other modern art, but that's not necessarily my my art expertise. And uh, and Bruce makes some really interesting comments on this as he's walking around. He says, uh, this, co- this comic stuff, which a lot of Lichtenstein's art is pop art that's kind of like single yeah. panels of comics, is too highbrow for me. I collect outsider work. And he describes outsider work basically as art not being made by artists. And uh, this is really interesting because Marson's kind of making an interesting comment on like, so comic makers are artists, but 
also people who like fine art don't see them as artistic enough outsider mm. enough to produce anything that's like really challenging although bruce is also flipping that on his head by calling it highbrow it's it's really interesting i think there's a lot to unpack there <laughs> harry i see you grinning ma- madly down there what do you want to add to this well, discussion about bruce and and his relationship with art and art's relationship with comics I just love all of this. This is one of the issues. This is the first issue where I was like, oh, this series is really going to pop for me. I really like Grant Morrison's Super Gods book. And in their writing during that, you can tell there's just this deep love of just pulpy kind of like lower brow arts, like mm-hmm. Thratted, just sort of, you know, just, you know, pulp serials and kind of cheap comics and just things that have like this power and this love to it that not everyone can recognize, but it's there. And you can just tell like in this, he's kind of giving this affection to that kind of artwork and that kind of level that might be missed by the upper crust. And, you know, you know, Bruce's opinion of these things is like a whole other aspect that's <laughs> kind of tougher to parse because then you kind of look at, you know, Bruce's like perspective comparing to Morrison's and all that. But like this whole issue and all of the work, the, just talking about Roy Lichtenstein's work and like syncing that up with the action and, and all of this, this is like where I realized this is going to be a really fun Batman book and not in like a, a shallow or, or, uh, a non-essential way, but like in a very like kind of thoughtful, like interesting way, mm. which is great to, for me. Fria, what did you think about this whole art discussion? So I thought that he he was just um, pretending, like he was pretending to mm-hmm. have an opinion on art when he actually doesn't or care about it. Mm. So he was just trying to say something like that would come off as being controversial because that's what Bruce Wayne is, you know, <laughs> or that's what like, or maybe he's just too ditzy, like, you know, that he doesn't understand art, like, you know, something like that. Because I feel like if I went to an art, art thing, I would also say the same exact thing. It's like, oh, yeah, this is whatever, whichever one I've been to. And even if I go to multiple <laughs> one, I'm like, this is too highbrow for me. Guys. <laughs> I don't understand this. Hmm. You know, so it just feels like it's a little bit of that. Uh, but I laughed out loud when he said that. I know if I just stared at it hard enough. And then like this <laughs> thing that it just... It just <laughs> I definitely felt like that was Morrison specifically talking through Bruce, kind of saying, you know, people are going to do what we're doing right now. People, at that point, they had had it yeah. done to enough of their work that they know that it would all be analyzed. Mm-hmm. And right. it's kind it's of like, a message it, of like, if you look into the work long enough, all you see is is the eye of the beholder. It's you know, yeah. This feels like something about talking. He's using Bruce, says, uh, they're using Bruce they, as a conduit through yeah. just to speak about all of this stuff, which is just fun, you know? Right. The I mean, the thing is, like, I also thought, thought the same way about uh, their, um, um, what's that one? Not the Animal Man. Not Animal Man. Which, yeah, Doom Patrol. So yeah. I actually stared at the Doom Patrol omnibus after being done with it. I'm like, <laughs> if I stare at it hard enough, I'm going to get it, you know? That, and I kind of did, you know? <laughs> that, was, that was me with the Invisibles, and I... Kind of did not, but I I kept trying and I got more. And out you of it still each have you still have the omnibus behind you. I can see it. Yes, so. I do. It's right <laughs> yeah. over there. I yeah. shall try. In case it. anyone so, breaks and enters into Harry's apartment, he, he's just going to take <laughs> him out. Can, that can, no can. dust jacket. Um, no. <laughs> so the thing. So, um, I, but I was fascinated by how the art itself in the background was used as to get a reaction. Like you know, it's like it's when, so great when Jezebel gets showed up. There's like wow behind her, and then. And, you know, there was like, he punches someone and says, ouch. But it's all just the art in the background. But the thing is, it's used as a way yeah. to get get your reaction out of it. And it's perfectly matched. 
I just loved it so much. And, and then there's and someone, this... the one that is like the people were like, oh my god, like you know, look, like people are looking over there, and then it's like, look up in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> so is, it was done not... perfectly. And it's not esoteric. It's not like insanely deep, but it's clever and it's utilized so well. And it's just such like a nice, refreshing, breezy kind of kickoff to these stories. It's just like good action done in an interesting way. And um, the artist on this issue uh, is Andy Kubert, who a is... A great Andy Kubert. Uh, Andy Kubert yeah. is a frequent collaborator with Marson in the first half of Marson, more so than the second half. And I think mm-hmm. that over time, especially as Andy Kubert has been at DC for now decades, people kind of just think of him as like another Jim Lee kind of artist, draws muscular people, yeah. makes them look attractive because he followed Jim Lee on X-Men and I think that that's kind of just a reputation he has. And I think sometimes he can be that and sometimes not. But I think the way that he integrates all the pop art, which I, you know, I looked in the credits i don't think anybody other than him did it it's all drawn in this very classical comics way and you know his father um joe kubert had been in the industry for decades he has his own school named after him mm-hmm. of comic art and i think it's really fun to see andy kubert um flex because neither andy or adam is ever frequently allowed to do this kind of thing they're just relied upon to come in and deliver and be that blockbuster artist and so it's really fun that marzen is like making room for these artists to not always do the thing that you always expect them to do. And I think that that's actually a trend throughout a lot of what I've seen of this Marson run is that they really give artists opportunities to, to be different. Yes. But um, the- I want to I want to slowly move us into plot now from, from commentary. So uh, at yeah. the end of this modern art discussion in 656, Bruce says, if there's one thing I hate, it's art with no content. As, a, as paired with a splash of him fighting a ninja bat. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to the plot content here because Tali Al Ghul has kidnapped uh, Man Bat, Dr. Langstrom, and he she's shaken him loose for his uh, his bat, shaken him down rather for sure. his bat serum. And she's sent in League of Assassins assassins who are also bats. Why? <laughs> because she does want to kidnap somebody from this, the prime minister's wife, but she's also really interested in getting a rise out of Batman and really putting Batman on display for bum, bum, Damien, Batman's son. Now I want to start with Faria on this go round. <laughs> Damien says, that's him. That's my father at the end of 655. Maybe not as starstruck as that because it is Damien. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear through the grapevine. Did you know that this was Damien's first proper no. continuity appearance? No. So the thing is, I didn't know that he, uh, that uh, they created, like that Grant Morrison created Damien. I thought that Damien was a thing from 60s, 70s, 80s. And because, and here's the reason why. Because Harry said in a one of our PM, oh, Grant Morrison did the best voice for Damien. I'm like, oh, okay. So Damien has they been did. around. Okay, Harry, if <laughs> they are the creator, how on earth they are the, doing the best voices? They're the creator. So obviously the voice they're doing is the established voice. But compared to you're basically what, making my case for me. after. Okay. <laughs> so are we going to get into this? Okay. So let's get into I it. Let's really get into like Damien. Let's get into it. Okay. Yeah. I really like Damien as a character. I think Grant Morrison walks a very fine line with this character where he is a jerk. He's a little snot. Uh-huh. He's also got this aristocratic bent to his voice and his mannerisms that I think is very hard to replicate with yeah. other writers. I think that is the secret spice of this character that Grant Morrison 
gets perfectly because yes, they're the one who wrote him. I totally yeah. agree. No, I no. Here's the thing. I think, and we'll get into more as the plot goes along. I don't think anyone has written this character with the right voice sense. I, I really don't. And yes, I include Tomasi in this. I think people. I think writers because it's such a specific weird character that they just substitute that. That that those that, that aristocratic mannerism and that snootiness and almost that young person trying to sound like an adult, and they just write it as a young kid who's a jerk. Yeah, and that is a different voice. And I get why I they they kind of had for whatever reason DC decided to keep this character around after things happen in the series. I don't think that was the right move. Well, we'll, being, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just being, I'm, in terms of just the voice and just like what feels authentic, I'm being very snooty and I'm just thinking the original was the best. Graham Morrison did it right. I don't think we've really gotten it great since. I think Tomas right. has come the closest, so, but it's not the same thing. Right. So, the, but the thing is like, so the thing is like when people talked, like, you know, when you said that, so I was yeah. like, oh, okay. So this character has been around for a very long okay, time. Well, that's, and that's for the first bad. time, for the first time, a writer yeah. got the voice right, you know? Yeah. So that's how I was thinking about it because My I don't bad. look up Google. I don't look up Wikipedia or something yeah. like that where people are coming from. And I was like, oh, okay. So that makes sense. So I was ready. And then I'm like, well, if they created it, obviously that's the best voice because they are the creator. And I think Morrison leaves a a wonderful little breadcrumb trail here where he has, or they have Alfred reading Artemis Fowl. Oh my God. So my kid has has read some Artemis Fowl. And it's like, it's almost like Artemis Fowl is the generic way that everybody else will in the future write Damien. Like Morrison, Morrison's got them dead to rights right from the beginning. And like, Morrison's like, you're going to think that it's this. It's not quite this. But it's sure, not. let me give you the analog that you're going to assume. And it's it's just like right there to poke fun at later writers. Mm-hmm. But uh, to that point, though, I also think that the, the reason Damien lost those all the way he talks, because he's now been Americanized. Now he actually mm-hmm. lived in America. Mm-hmm. He kind of understand where kids, how kids talk or how kids should be. And that's why he lost it. I mean, that's, that's how I think it. I think really nice we'll, 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 to, imagine, we'll to investigate this as we go on. Yeah. Damien also right. ultimately is only at a couple lines so far. So let's not get too far yeah. into our right. part. No, but, but, but I want to I want to put a pin in that. I think there is a code switch slash um, culturalization aspect in it. For sure. Right, but but the thing is, like, uh, I just also want to mention that Artemis Fowl is also kind of I understand why Alfred will read it because it's actually about a butler at the end of the day. <laughs> it's about Artemis butler. butler. Uh, yeah. Adobo, I think Adobo is something. I forgot his, like, it's like a very interesting No, his name, name was actually Butler, wasn't it? Anyway, let's Do- like, like, yeah, Adobo <laughs> no, something Artemis Butler. Fowl, spoilers, people. Yeah, but, but the thing is, it's ultimately about a Butler taking care of a kid who doesn't necessarily listen to him all the time. So it's I feel like, pull. I feel like that's why he is very interested in Artemis Fowl and he wants to get to it as soon as the book arrives. So I, I, I was laughing about that. <laughs> now, there's one thing here I don't know that we have to talk about it, but because we chose to read a lot of Talia material leading up to this, including the maybe, maybe not continuity things, such as um, the birth of the demon and the bride of the demon, and uh, what is the third one? Son of the demon. Uh, I have to mention that Batman, when Talia's like, surprise, you're the father, you know, this is the Mark (laughs) Povich show, uh, that Batman (laughs) is like, "I, I, I never consented to be part of your crazy genetic experiments. And Talia, and he he intimates he was drugged. Talia says, you cooperated, 
magnificently, which you can take a lot of different ways. So content warning on this for listeners, but just briefly, do you take away the understanding here that Batman was definitively sexually assaulted or so no? This was, this was written in a different time and 2006, which I know sounds like it's half long ago, but like my point being, yes, yes. Very clearly. I think what's being said here is that he was assaulted. And I think that was played much more shallowly here than it probably would be now. But like, reading that neil adams book like he he's acting like you can make the case that he's acting deranged or drugged or what have you and is not in the right consenting state of mind if you are that addled by some kind of insane substance and i i do view this as like an assault which is uh grim but i that was my read for you so remind me, and that's because I kind I kind of flushed all of those out of my head. Mm. Uh, the because there was the first one where he was kidnapped and was married because they're like, oh, um, the only the <laughs> father and the bride, yeah. uh, only the father and the bride has to consent. At that time, <laughs> nothing happened, right? No, this was, the, was de- this was the desert with the sword fight. The, yeah, desert with the sword fight. But, but they're not even there? together that long in that no, either. Yeah. When, when oh. in that time, wasn't they together? Because they were, they, he was in a full function at that time because he was the right-hand man of Raj. He was doing all of this. And suddenly when she became pregnant, he was super into you're, her. No, I think no, you're no, combining no, no, two no, different no. stories. There's the last story okay. in Tales of the Demon where he, with the, the ski slopes and the Alps, and then he tracks them because of the camel bridle to the yeah, desert. And yeah. he like knocks him out. And brings him up when he gets stung by the scorpion, right? Uh-huh, and then, uh-huh. and then there's, there's, then there's all the '80s OGNs. And I think, I, personally, to throw my hat yes. in here, I think that Morrison actually, I don't think it was as grim as Harry's read. I think that they were writing it such that you can go back and try to choose which story it fits into, and you can decide for yourself if Batman was drugged or not, or if he's basically using this. Um, to say I would never lie with my enemy, but really you did, uh, and well, I we, just think I just think it, it's just a nice um, a nice little dash that Morrison puts on it to be like you can always leave this up to your personal interpretation, and I will not say. Well, but, no, I but totally agree. To that, to that point, though, why why bother with that? Because like, because why? fanboys are always going to be like, well, when did they sleep with each other? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, just don't say also, that. But, like, but Graham Morrison. No, Grant Morrison loves tying in continuity in old stories. And this is just like one of the exa- many examples of this in the run. I, I feel like, you know, they wanted to link this to something from the past because that's just kind of the, the narrative they're trying to tell. Yeah, yeah, but the thing is, like, it wasn't that narrative. They just could have been like, oh, yeah, that time. Like, you yeah. know, just, just, just Batman just go ahead and say that, oh, damn. Because you know, because you you yeah because oh oh. like you know damn it like oh that's because you know you've seen the Batman and Son animated movie since then right yes yeah so in that one you remember how like you know finally spoiler for you Peter and our audience uh night like you know uh, Dick Grayson brings um brings Damien back like it's like oh yeah. like you know they had a fight and everything and then yeah. Dick is like after all the time he talks about protection with me like you know, <laughs> oh wow and, yeah that's what he, he says that and then it's like yes Master Grayson and then that's, just... a, that's a, but the thing is it was such a fun way of doing that because it's like, it's like okay yeah. yeah there was like a consent and he's loud and he wasn't sure about well you know the cartoons always have the benefit of being able to reinterpret the material to to 
add in these moments. I just want to say, you know, Peter, I agree with you that like, yes, like you can, there is enough space in that Neil Adams story that you can take which read you want. But I just am really impressed with how much room there was for Morrison to take their stuff, their writing and just kind of have it be either way like it's it's so much less of a retcon than i thought like right you, now that you've read tales a, yeah. of the demon because i've read yes. this before too and i just assumed that but now that i've read tales exactly. of the demon, i'm like there's those stories a were amazing and b yes. there's a lot of room for, for there really is it's 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 so much more i use the word a lot but a lot more elegant than i had realized which i really really enjoyed but it is also a retcon though because the way that well, yes, it's that still a retcon. story that story ends but that you scene know? read you're thinking about the the other th- I'm yeah but there, like this there's scene. there's retcons okay. and there's like okay. brute force retcons there's retcons yes. that are like maybe okay. there was something that happened in between the panels and then there's retcons that are like you totally saw a lie I'm gonna completely reinterpret yes uh, Marson will use some okay. of those too and we'll get to that this okay. is a- <laughs> okay 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 <laughs> I see I see, I see. let's okay. let's move on to and I'm gonna tackle these together six fifty seven and mm. six fifty eight mm. here or actually I guess six fifty nine is is in there as well. Um, because there's basically Talia's like it's your weekend with the kid and just give <laughs> Damien to Batman. And the first thing Bruce says to him, oh my god, is this is my cave. We'll put your train to do good use to fight crime. And the sense that I really get here is that mm-hmm. um Bruce immediately is trying to do two things. He's trying to be a good parent in what his view of a good parent is, which he does not really have because he didn't have parents for a time, even though he had Alfred and nothing taking away from adoptive and and found parents. But he's trying Mm -hmm. to be dad right now in a way that I don't think we could say that Alfred was specifically. And then also he's kind of just treating him like a Robin, not because he would treat any kid like a Robin, but because he's like, how do I approach a problem like Damien with um, coming from League of Assassins without just using what I've used time and time again on Robins. Uh, I have to add, I want to turn it over to you, but there's one more thing that happens so quickly. You might as well just throw it in. Uh, mm-hmm. But Damien's immune to the good parent routine. He has no interest in being Robin. He, he, none of this is working on him. And Bruce descends very quickly into this very paternalistic, yeah. militaristic, beratement of Damien mm-hmm. to gain his respect. And Damien, to, you know, to Bruce's credit, he read it right. Damien does respond. Uh, nobody's saying any parent should ever do that, but in the story, it is effective. Harry, what do you want to talk about in there? <laughs> well, you know, first and foremost, like we just got to admit it, and like fans don't like this arc as much as it seems because Damien is the absolute worst. He is in terrible. This series. And I love He's him. the worst. You have to start <laughs> I <love> somewhere. It. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a snob. But this scene you're talking about where he just becomes like this militaristic, like, you know, this is a scene that makes sense. Like, yes, Batman should, you know, in this situation where you have like this, like, trained samurai, you know, this trained assassin son, like, Yes, lean on your combat and militaristic kind of tendencies to get him to listen. But they also do enough shading where he's also approaching him as a student of the martial arts who's bringing shame to like his sensei and what have you. And that's such like a more precise, interesting like take to have in this book than something that could be more generic, I think, with another writer. Um, and, you know, it just, um, yeah, he's not great in this. Uh, I won't even lie, but like, you know, that Damien's kind of like a long, like a, a slow burn kind of like long game character that gets very satisfying. So this is just where that starts. Um, and I just think the page where Batman screams at him is really nice. Batman looks awesome in it. 
Furio, what did you think yeah. about Bruce's, the many faces of Bruce Wayne's parenting skills? So I, that scene immediately reminded me of Quanon getting uh, one up over Wild Child. And also Hope, uh, when she went to find one of the five lights, there was one character she had to be like, yeah, no. Right. You know, and then... Yeah. Who's is, talking about is, X-Men, DC readers? X-Men, I don't know if you've exactly. heard of them. They put out a few comics a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, it's it's another another cut. But the thing is, it instantly reminded me of that because that's how you kind of treat alpha, like you know. Yeah, you characters front display. Mm-hmm. Yeah, characters <laughs> who think they're alpha because you know Damien is like father. These are all mine, as Harry said. His his voice and yeah, and then these are all mine. It's like no, it's not. It's mine. <laughs> yelling at each other. Yeah, just yelling. And then it's like, oh, yes, you are right, father. These are not mine yet. You know, and immediately yeah. he's like, switches off. But before that, he was just throwing tantrum all over the place. And then it's just like being like a snotty kid. I absolutely love that. Like, this is the way sometimes you should treat some of the children. Okay, we're learning. You, you know, like, <laughs> so, and even, even if someone else's children, you should treat them this way. Because you should, wow. some people's children. Well, you know, I th- here's one of the things where I'm actually very qualified to talk about something in a comic book. So, Children. You know, well, I, you know, my parents were divorced when I was quite young and I was missing certain parental aspects throughout my whole life that I never really got. I never really saw that, you know? And so I think I've talked about this in other shows before, but sometimes I don't even know what space to hold in like a two-parent household with a kid when the kid occasionally does something wrong or misbehaves. Like, I never got to see a good cop, bad cop routine. I never got to see both parents presenting a unified front. I never got to see any of those things. And so, like, what do I have, really? I have my gut instinct of how to get what I want, which isn't always a good or kind thing to do to a kid, you should understand as a parent. Mm -hmm. And it takes time to understand that, honestly. Uh, Or, you know, I can model what I've seen in other media, or I can, you know, you got to make a decision. And, and even for parents who came from a beautiful, wonderful, stable two-parent household that was just lovely, are going to encounter things with their kids that never got modeled for them. And they're going to have to decide in that moment what to do. So, like, I really just thought it was interesting because, I mean, I, you know, I'm no perfect parent. I have done dumb things. I've been mistakenly mean to my kid when I probably could have solved something in a, in a kinder, nicer way. And in watching Bruce go through this in the span of pages, I was like, yep, that's a familiar feeling. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so- almost... It's- yeah. And almost you yeah. like cringe, you like self cringe, like you do one thing and you're like, well, that's going to get the reaction that I wanted in this very, in this very second. But that was a tactical mistake that will be used against <laughs> me in the future. Uh, no, but the thing is like, I actually kind of, I really liked it at that time because yeah. all this time I always thought that Bruce was a terrible father, like Batman, as like, but now I'm like, that's not quite the case, you oh. know, he tried, he tried, even though it worked, didn't work because Damien went to go and murder someone well, in the very next page. Well, but yeah, yeah, at the time... Let's well, let's, let's get into that as kind of the last big thing we're going to talk about from this arc. But to get into it, I yeah. think we have to talk a, just for a second about Tim Drake. So Tim Drake is the Robin right now. He is yeah. very offended about this whole Damien situation. And even though Damien is a bit younger than Tim Drake, in some ways, his actions immediately infantilize Tim Drake or causes Tim Drake to infantilize himself because even though Tim Drake is trying to like hold his space and do the alpha threat display thing, Damien is a savvier actor than Tim Drake. He's he, he, and he's willing to do things Tim Drake doesn't do. And I think in that moment that, you know, Damien 
realize or Tim realizes Damien put one over on him. Damien broke into the Batcave and then, Tim, you know, Damien goes off and kills somebody. Tim has this moment where he goes, oh, God, Batman, he just did my voice. And it really <laughs> reduces him to me in that moment to this like eight year old that's like, he won't stop doing my voice. And it's interesting <laughs> The effect that Damien has on the other Robins, you know, with Dick, you get him in this very stable paternalistic role. With Tim, yeah. it makes Tim seem way less capable and prepared because Damien's a very different kind of prepared than Tim. And so, uh, and so as part of this whole escapade, he, he mortally wounds Tim. He escapes and he finds this villain who's just happening on the fringes of the story. It doesn't really matter too much what they're doing. And he beheads him. Um, although the whole setup of the villain is quite clever, but we don't have to talk about every de- detail. So to wrap us up, um, anything you want to talk about in that, about Damien, Damien being a murderer, and Tim Drake's relationship with Damien, Harry? It's just, um, well, you know, yeah, Damien's not balanced. He's like this little killing machine. And he also is, you know, he's got these two things that makes Tim insecure and defensive, which is mm-hmm. that he's That's, acting you got it. like... He's acting like an adult and he's acting condescending and he also has like blood kin to Batman. Both yeah. of these things, you know, even though obviously, you know, you know, Batman and Tim Drake are thick as sleeves, that's enough to probably make someone insecure in the moment. Um, the other thing is that basically, you know, I, I when I originally read this, you know, I was always like, you know, Batman does not kill. This is I always took like Damien killing this villain so quickly. And then just kind of glossing over it to be like, <laughs> we got to move it on for the sake. But, 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 you know, rereading all these, all the, all the golden age comics and what have you for this, you know, Batman did kill in the beginning. And obviously that's been kind of passed over and kind of fixed. But like, I, I can see more of the read that like, he's more accepting of like an early sin to be kind of taught out of him. Because mm. if we're taking all this as continuity, that is something that has happened with Batman. Mm. Um, or maybe I've just chilled out as I've gotten older, who can say. <laughs> Free, what did you think about this? Uh, so the thing is, and this is probably a good time to say that I actually read this arc before, like, you know, way oh. back when, even though at that time I didn't realize that this is the first appearance of mm-hmm. Damien, I thought this is a, you know, because DC keep on rebooting. So I'm like, oh, yeah, this is sure, a reboot. Sure. You know, yeah. so um, since this issue, I lost all respect for Team Drake. And anytime Team Drake shows up, I'm like, ugh. He comes off a little weak in this. There's no denying it. <laughs> yeah, I like Tim Drake, but he, but, yeah. But, you know, it's just since then, I can't just forget about this because I'm like, ugh. Like, you know, seriously, I can't overdo you like that. Um, even though it's Damien, I get that. Uh, but the thing is, it was really sad, though. Like, uh, one time, it's like, oh, there's a kid. Like, it's your kid. What, what does that mean about us? And I'm like, I, I don't know, Tim. They'll just wait and see but what Tim's it means. still like a kid. It's That's like a very normal human reaction because Tim's like a human where Damien's like, like this little specialized he's 16 like 16 17 at the most oh okay in that case yeah he's so he's young because i don't I even think he's 17 because i think he's going to college early in rebirth so like i think that puts him at max of 16 at rebirth and i think that first think takes 16. him on oh and he's i like always thought that he was 20 yeah. no, no, no 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 he's young oh, wow. especially with the time compression in new 52 i don't think that's oh okay anymore. because i always thought he was 20 and that really put a put a like you know dead a damper on me. like it is like oh really but, Why but I think this, like- this scene is like very much the reason i remember i said tim drake is one of my favorite members of the bat family and this actually weirdly reinforced that for me because it's the thing i like about him is that his a student 
mutant nature is what makes him fallible. Like he's yeah. fighting in the way he thinks he should fight. He's doing the things with Batman that he thinks he should do. And it just doesn't always work for you. And it goes back to the whole Batman voice thing at the beginning of this. I don't know that Grant Marson is so interested in Tim Drake, but I think in the it's same not. way, <laughs> I think in the same way that Batman yeah. can't nail the voice and he's not being his authentic self as Bruce Wayne. Tim Drake thinks that being an A student is enough to be a great hero. And sometimes that really fails him because being a hero is more than just being an A, a student. Like you've got to have some soul in, in underneath of that. And I think that this is just a great little bottle example of it. Even if mm -hmm. Marson, I, I don't remember this run at all, having read some of it. So I don't remember if Marson ever writes another line for Tim Drake. But I, I definitely got that here. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it really, I also think it reveals something interesting about Damien. At the end, Damien gets Bruce to respond in that stern, militaristic father way. And that's when Damien turns from a mon monster Damien back to kid Damien. It's what he wanted. He doesn't want mm -hmm. human Bruce Wayne. He doesn't want Batman as Batman might really be. He wants Batman as Talia told him Batman was all this time, which in reality, anybody who's really Batman's son, like the Robins, doesn't think that. Even if his villains think that, even if Talia assumes that, or put that thought into Damien's head, who knows if yeah. she ever really believes anything. Um, mm. That's not actually who Batman is. And Damien is like, just give me this Batman that I've been promised. Which I think a lot right. of readers come in asking for. Quite frankly, Marson, again, always levels. There, oh. Morrison's not interested in that interpretation. They have just, this is, what you're saying is coming at a time where Batman and Bruce Wayne is being much more humanized weirdly and is finding some kind of more color and personality than we've seen in the past. Yeah. Uh, no, one thing I was, uh, was going to say, that I always kind of wanted Damien to kind of remain that annoying who'd never understood that we don't kill. Like, I wish that was kind of held on like for him that you know that he was like always kind of like it's like ah we don't kill and he just going around and killing or like well, no, I mean, not not learning no. but i know that there is a little bit of that but i think it was kind of beaten out of him as things went on um but i i kind of wish like you know because when i saw that part of it i was like oh yeah this is this is kind of nice if you know? we're yeah if we're getting to the next issue now like the the best part of like this is Sorry, we'll pause. Are we still talking about like the the arc? We're like, uh, we're wrapping Batman, up. So. I'm like about to make my final comment on Batman. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. So the I mean, for me, the best part of this entire arc, and it kind of like this is where you start to see the actual person beneath what Damien's pretending and projecting to be is when he and Batman launch up in that rocket ship, and there you have this page where Damien says, "You have a rocket," and Batman says, "I have a lot of stuff nobody knows about," and there's this one page. There's one panel of Damien upside down where he's got this tiny, happy smile. And it's showing for all this bluster in the League of Sha Assassins training, what have you. He's still a kid who's excited the idea of being in a rocket. And this is the start of seeing this character who starts off as like the worst person in the world become more of an actual human. Mm. And it, it, that, that is there is such a deafness and a, a less is more thing that Morrison does with this character and small beats like that that carry throughout this entire run and i love morrison because they get so much personality and so much to infer from small small pieces of dialogue and small moments that just build and build as you go on it's not like a ton of stuff but it really does land every time and i'm gonna definitely keep tabs on that as we all get further into the series 
Well, I, Batman, and it really disappointed me that you know we didn't get more of that, like in the mm-hmm. like you know there was like only one one shot of that like as they were launching in the rocket and there's like Stories. oh like you know you said you you oh you, I I know all about you you didn't know I had a rocket like you know mm-hmm. and that like you know those those kind of thing I was like ah oh, more of this more work of this. It, it's going to happen it will well this yeah. ends with an interesting beat you know they chase down Talia Talia basically says reform me. Batman, she, she, Damien's part of a bigger play for her. She's not just giving up temporary custody of her son. She wants something too. She's always wanted something. She always wants something. And, uh, and she ends by saying, ours is a love story, remember, which Batman might have a different opinion on. And then she <laughs> blows them all up and maybe dies. Maybe Damien dies. We know that's probably not the case, but it kind of leaves this in the way that a lot of Golden Age and Silver Age stories are left where this totally unusual thing happens. And at the end of the story, it's like, so much for that. And Morrison <laughs> kind of goes on to focus on some other things in the next few stories. We now move on to four stories that come after that Batman and Son arc. And the first one is one that really <laughs> people have some opinions on. Yes, they uh, do. It, Batman 663 is a prose story about the Joker, uh, who's, lest we forget, laid up in Arkham with his face shot off. and uh, But he's still plotting with the help of none other than Ms. Harleen Quinzel, Harley Quinn. Harry, which side of this do you come down on, this text issue? Okay, I read this. I'm, no, just, I'm a fan. I read this when I was young, and I really, really liked it at the time. This has problems, namely the art is not very good. Um, I'm going to be Does honest. I don't, they, <laughs> there are pictures. There are figures that do things, and uh-huh. they have faces and eyes. Um I don't care, though. I I, I think this is some goofy, super pulpy, just just indulgent writing that Morrison gets to do. And, you know, I can sit here and critique the the quality of their writing or how it actually kind of compares to actual noir stuff or what have you. But what they're writing about, about this Joker being this ever-shifting hell construct that's bringing in all of DC continuity and making it track through through his, like, ever-shifting mind. I loved that when I read it in the first time. You know, I also can't, I can't help but connect this to my first memories of Batman, and which was The Dark Knight, which also has a Joker story with a character with, where he has a shapeless origin that's just always changing from minute to minute. It's much, a much more grounded idea. But, you know, there's just something in the water then where it was taking the idea of the Joker and making it this larger than life, sort of hard to pin down, changing being. And I've always been really attracted to that idea. This is where it starts. I do think the writing's effective. I think by the end, I'm pretty invested in this insane change that he's going through. Um, So there are problems with it. I don't care. I like it a lot. Freya? So I read excessive amount of noir, crime noir, and mystery prose book. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. they're all written like this. They're all okay. written like this with excessive adjective, excessive, like, oh, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, he talked. Like, one of the ones that I remember from this is that like Alfred's voice is like the surgeon general's or the surgeon colonel's clipped lawn. I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> but they're all like this. 
And we talked about previously about Morrison uh, talking about pop art, like, you know, about art or the mm. talk about art. And I feel like this is where they're talking about that. Oh, we are, I'm doing something uh, like, you know, so I'm telling a similar story that takes inspiration from that genre. And I think they did it very well. And then the story itself, even though it starts off a little shaky and you're not quite sure what's going on, but mm. then it comes together but the thing is that all the discussion about Joker being reborn and how he's being reborn and all the feelings and everything, I don't think you could have done that in a comic format mm. if it was just like panel by panel. And especially the whole idea that the Joker is saying something, but it's coming up at the... Like, you know... Yeah, which like, yeah. would like, piss us all off. <laughs> right. I would, but, but I would the, leave. I'd walk but, out. Yeah, but the thing is like, you wouldn't... So there is actually an interesting way of doing that. I've seen it in one of the comics that someone have done it. But that's for the different time. But the thing is that it just comes up so scary and so like, you know, it's affecting. Yeah. And also, I feel like this is the first time in comic that I've seen. Like, and I've seen it in other animated series and stuff like that. First time where Harley has something to say. Like, her love. For Joker was the downfall of Joker. Like it was like a very, it was done in a very cringy, interesting way that I was like, I was shocked. I was shocked to the core. Like, you know, it was like, oh, this is what you want to do. And it's like, oh no, it was like, you know, he want like, you know, like, it's like, oh, this is where you need to be. Like, it just like, oh, I don't know, all of it. So, I mean, in the end of the day, I ended up loving it. All right. I so I I recall that I fully skipped this the first time that I was reading Grant Morrison Batman. I just remember looking at the first page and being like, "Nope." And it's not that I don't <laughs> read prose; it's yeah. because the, I was at the peak of really working on on print production and readability type of stuff in my career at that point. And I was like, I was even math nastier, if you could imagine, about the whole if you don't make it readable, I don't have time. And I have to say that this is a complete failure. There are points that you have to squint to make out the text over the background of it. There's no reason the background has to have these murky, swirling colors and it. Just lay it out on a solid color. Um, I debate on if this much text, especially as it was originally meant in a printed medium, should have been sans serif. I think a serif font maybe probably would have read better. And also some of the ways that the picture breaks up the text is terrible too. Um, like there's a point that Harley's limb is reaching out and they break the text around the limb. Um, so just from like a text layout perspective, it was really hard for me to get past. I'm a real purist of like text should be readable. Okay. But I think that this on forcing myself to sit down and read every <laughs> word of it the other night, um, I think it really brings to mind a specific thing, which is that when an author tries to ape a certain style as Free is talking about or an artistic medium, is that can't articulate it like is it worth it to go with them and not in it if it drags the quality down in some way and so one example is like when people may want to make a comic story look old they kind of make it look like it's in an old yellowed paper because or they mm -hmm. make it look like the registration is a little bit off and that's mm -hmm. to signal like um they did it a lot in the flashback issues of deadpool by jerry dugan and that's meant to like signify yeah. to you like this is an older story mm -hmm. and so i think that marzen per Frida's comments, expertly writes this as a pulp story. But I think that sometimes I'm like, okay, I got it. Now this is just bad. Because a pulp story, if we read it today without the nostalgia that we have for a pulp story, would be bad. Um, so like not like just I the opening so. the opening scene with like the all the clowns at the funeral so, and whatever yeah. thing. 
like that was terrible i thought i just it was <laughs> such a chore i just wanted to crawl off of the futon and into some other room to look at anything else while i was reading it and then <laughs> i kind of justified to myself like okay well that was to set the pulp tone but then and i think freya nailed it is pulp has a way of fixating on small details and expanding mm-hmm. them to whole passages and they might be unimportant it's just what pulp does and so then when we return to that with um the the former henchman who had dwarfism like and then it was another whole page describing her and i was like i don't know that we need this i think the story was at the its best when marson had a laser focus on joker because i agree with you both there are things that they did with joker that you cannot do except for in prose and it's and i think that that accomplished what it needs to accomplish and it's ultimately like why i came out liking this i think i have a whole different understanding of joker now than i read Mm -hmm. this and i think that if you were a joker fan who's like or want to be a joker fan or want to understand the joker unfortunately you've got to go and read this issue as unreadable as it is both visually and in text so so the thing is the visual unreadability is actually i thought was my choice because it is hard to read because it was supposed to get you that in that feeling because i think that's dangerous though (laughs) i know i know it could be dangerous but the thing is like there is like a there's a gross aspect of it and you're not never sure of what's going on what you're supposed to be focusing on what you're supposed to be like there's like so much especially the first page where they were talking about this henchman carrying this like excessive like you know a lot of fo- like you know a, a heavy weight a casket, and then yeah. a casket and the casket falls out and all their entrails kind of there and then they're just laughing and they it felt gross and then the, the way that the darkness of it felt gross i mean i, I, I that's how i did it i it's mean for it, me it, like i'm a you know like peter everything you said like that totally makes sense it all is super valid and just like you're right the project there i i think there are production issues i i totally understand what you're saying but the 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 overall like just the feeling you get from this story the queasiness the the Mm -hmm. the just laser cutting like hell idea that the joker's bringing like that is so overwhelming i remember the feeling i got the read the first time on my iPhone using an app. Like it was just, <laughs> I know. Well, you could actually break up into tiny parts, which made it easier. Oh yeah, but, maybe um, kind of you missed that a little bit more. <laughs> but the point is that that's that's special. That's that was very that's that's interesting and cool to me. The other way of probably doing it is like a combination of prose and comics. Like in some of the especially the first first couple, like in all the henchmen part could have been just swapped into the comic and then keep some of the prose. But uh, to be honest, I don't think I've ever seen that done very well. Hickman, my soulmate, he thinks he can do it. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. Well, you know, I'll say the thing to, to wrap up this discussion that I often say about music, which is that I want to hear the singer give the best performance that they're able to give with their voice as it is in that moment. So if I hear a singer that's maybe not the best singer, but it's a really good performance for that singer, I'm not grading them against, you know, Celine Dion necessarily, who's an amazing singer Mm -hmm. technically. Uh, But I want to see the best version that they can do. And I think when I look at this, like it's released by DC Comics, it's Grant Morrison's name is on it. The production could have been better. I just, I know this is like, this is really getting away from story, but I think it keeps me away from it. It's like if I bought well, a record by some big superstar artist who like just decide to sing out of tune into the bed from my bedroom microphone one night, like I don't want that song, but that's a very me reaction. And so it's just interesting because I think it's all layers. What if, I mean, it, what it's if, something that's, if, that's deliberately meant to keep us away from the story a little bit. There can be things about a story that are not the narrative themselves that still affects you as a reader. And that is what this production team, along with Grant Marson, is doing. 
but what if like you know the star like the the artist already told you that i'm trying to record something in my bedroom because no screw them get get back to me when it's better but what if they're just (laughs) trying something marvel girl like you know what what if they're just trying no but what if they're just trying something trying a new thing nope no okay but that's a very new reaction yeah, Freeha, I, I, I totally agree with that, but okay. Yeah. Freya, I'm just really glad that you liked it because, you know, you're definitely going to be the question mark for a lot of this because this is new to you. And I'm just, this was when I was like, I wonder if she's going to dig this. How are you you knew I was going to hate it? This is what I, 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 I was fairly sure you were going to hate it. But I liked a lot of parts of yeah, it. Yeah, I just, yeah. I'm it, saying it was, that yeah. I, I think that that, it's just like in a movie that is very confrontational, that does lots of long takes or stays tight in an actor's face or whatever. Sure. And it does the thing that makes you uncomfortable. And then people come out of it sometimes and they're like, well, I didn't like the movie. And you say, why? And they're like, I don't know. It just, I don't know. Something about it was really unsettling in a way that yeah. it made me not engage with it. And it's like because of the shots or whatever. Yeah. And oh, you, have totally to, you, have to, you have to dig one layer deeper to like get to that. And I, I appreciate sure. that it's making me dig a level deeper to say why I didn't like it. Yeah, we're going to talk about it in the next next episode about how something that made me feel exactly that. It's like, okay. what about? Let's move right. forward to issue <laughs> six, is 64. Actually, 664 and 65 kind of are one piece, so we're going to talk about them yeah. together. So Bruce is back to his Jet Set lifetime with uh, Jezebel Jet, who was yeah. the woman that he met at the art showing in the previous issue. She comes from a country in Africa where she has um, become a global superstar and she's trying to leverage that to feed the people and relieve poverty in her country. But she's not immune to doing vapid rich person stuff. And mm-hmm. so they're on the slopes enjoying a date. Shades of our friend Molly Post from our uh, <laughs> sil- Silver Age Green Brother. The MVP. And... Uh, there's this really interesting moment where Jezebel invokes Bruce's parents and she to create a scene transition back to his life in Gotham. And she's like, how do you feel about that? Like, must have been hard to lose your parents. And Bruce says, I got over it. Is that Bruce saying I get over it? Is it Batman saying I get over it? Or are they both lying, Harry? They're clearly both lying by the dead stare in this man's eyes. <laughs> like, he looks... Like, this is a man still just still totally gripped by trauma, but also, like, fully committed to using that trauma to make the world better. It's like that kind of interesting double thing. Um, you know, the question of, like, you know, is it Bruce Wayne or Batman or how much are they through things or how much are they using what they have to channel into a better world and what have you? And that's always interesting. And this, I just felt like, you know, he's still very much in the grips of this this thing because, you know, he's trying to get back into the world and become more of a person. But you can tell in moments like this, he, he's got a long way to go. Mm. Freya? So if I didn't know Batman so much, I would have been more interested in this. But because I know Batman so much, like, you know, even with my limited reading, I know so much. I, I was like, okay. Like, you know, this felt like a, one of like, uh, yeah, sure. Like, you know. I'm with you. No, yeah, I'm with you. You know, like, it just, it just didn't capture me in that way because I'm like, obviously he's not. <laughs> we know it. <laughs> it's Batman. <laughs> yeah, it's Batman. <laughs> Bad, but it's like yeah. yeah i go over it's like yeah i mean and there's also another thing like if you know someone who had a traumatic past and stuff like don't bring it up randomly when they're <laughs> over to dinner, dinner. <laughs> yeah. yeah just don't it just it's not a good form you're gonna get a response like that i got over it like it, it, you're not gonna get anything take it from like you know welcome to Farina's dating advice corner <laughs> <laughs> i so you know i mean clearly it's a lie Right. But yeah, I think that in this Bruce Wayne performance that Alfred is encouraging him to do the Bruce Wayne with the higher voice and the easygoing manner 
is a Bruce Wayne that would say that. Because if Bruce Wayne shows too much sensitivity about his parents, it makes it too easy to recognize him as Batman, which we'll be getting to later in this run. Mm -hmm. I think in this moment, Bruce has made the decision of a performer that it is essential to his character to be over it. Mm -hmm. And of course he would yeah. be dead in the eyes because we've already established from Alfred, he's not the best actor, even though he's good at disguises. <laughs> and just I in the wish... way he can't disguise his voice, he can't always disguise his eyes. And he goes dead in the eyes when he, have to say, he has to say his parents' mm -hmm. death. It doesn't matter to him because in that moment of the two, Batman is the one that's real, not Bruce Wayne. And so he, as the real Batman, is underneath the Bruce Wayne mask, wincing at this line that Bruce Wayne is delivering. That is how So, So I already read Batman R.I.P. and that was a mistake. Because, uh -huh. you know, I know that was a mistake because I'm like, oh, because I can't, I know the other story of it. Yeah. Well, I haven't read I, it yet. So, oh, you haven't read it yet? No. Okay. In oh, that case, nothing. I'm not, mm. oh, wow. Mm. Okay. Mm. In that case, mm. don't worry about mm. it. What, <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> when, because, when did you read that? Huh? When did you read that story? Do, uh, 2012? Okay, oh, I mean, I read it in 2012, but I have no recollection of that. Oh, okay. okay. I thought you meant because... it like this week. No, 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 no. I already read it way back when. So I kind of, there's a, there's a double situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Now we'll, I kind of we'll know what you're talking about, but we'll our, our listeners don't, so we're not going to get yeah. into it. Mm -hmm. uh, so all, as we go back to back, uh, Gotham, he's investigating the disappearance and the murder of some sex workers, which in some ways Morrison handles well and some ways they don't, but I don't really necessarily want to get into that. What I want to get into is that as he's facing this massive Bane-shaped hunk of an enemy, he starts thinking and referencing for the first time in this run about the Black Casebook. Yes. The Black Casebook is a diegetic item here. It exists in the story to be read, but it becomes clear pretty quickly that the Black Casebook that... Batman has is not necessarily the same one that we read because Morrison's also using Lies. it to insert <laughs> Morrison's also using it to insert other stories where it is convenient to them to insert them yeah. um and and so that it creates a nice amount of confusion because even having just read it I'm like wait a second that never happened in the Black Games book <laughs> um and so he he gets the crap beat out of him by this Bane-shaped hunk of an enemy. It's another Batman impersonator. Batman impersonator number two. And he has a morphine-based delusion as Alfred is trying to nurse him back to health. Any thoughts on this whole sequence of Batman, the first time in this run that Batman really gets that crap beat out of him, Harry? Well, th this is where, you know, we've had this opening arc where it is kind of like a relatively straight-faced adventure, but this is where we get into that more confusing keeping you off kilter stories about kind of assaulting batman's mind and is any idea like mental stability mm. or place where you know the fact that this is a the second batman here the three is based on bane who is you know responsible for the most traumatic events in batman's life is obviously not a coincidence and it is you know a it is cool to see batman get beat up every once in a while because you want to i be love it reminded yeah go and be reminded this guy is fallible but also i mean i don't mind that like these are you know morrison's putting different things into the black case book and you know in their writing as opposed to like the other comics that we read because you know i, I never took it as that black case book was only this stuff that right. those were the only stories in this this is much larger tales yeah from yeah the yeah exactly exactly so i i loved all this and i do want to say like yeah like you know they they didn't write the best stuff with the sex workers but you know there is there is the, the planting of the seeds here where 
he reaches out to the the young girl Ellie and offers her a job like to work at Wayne Tech, which is a, you know, some complications aside, that is like an example of Batman, you know, looking out for someone in need beyond just fighting criminals. You know, that's always the complaint. Like, why doesn't Batman try to help people? This is kind of a example of, mm. you know, not only is he even, hurting. Why didn't, why didn't he give the card to everyone? Cause it's a, it's an act. Cause she's a child. Cause she's a child. <laughs> Sorry. Cause well, it's an action comic. Yeah. And no, Maria, so I just, yeah. What do you have to say about this, uh, this whole sequence? So I'm forever going to be upset, like, you know, scared for his back now, because I feel like his back is something <laughs> looks, that everyone attacks all looks the so time. Bad. And it's, it's, I don't know. I'm just like, and he himself was like very, um, yeah, he was upset. nervous in a way that yeah, you don't see nervous. him. He was like, for a moment, mm-hmm. I thought my back. And like, yeah, it was very yeah, vulnerable. And, and that that was something I really like that because you know it's just like it's like it's like a trauma trauma of heroes like and especially with Batman that's like a boatload uh, because his mm-hmm. origin is from trauma and it's it's like it's so it's always kind of good to see that aspect of it that he didn't just shake it off. Um, and then the other thing that I really absolutely loved and it is to do with the sex work, which um, I I really I don't I don't like. Like, you know, we talked about in a different time about the economy of women suffering, how that's like the whole story, like, you know, and it's just kind of brought a lot of that up. But this is one thing I really liked because the way he's, because Batman for the Gotham underworld is this mythology, right? A lot of them yeah. don't even believe it. A lot of them is like, he's just is a scary thing. But this is one thing, like, because one of the sex workers is like, hey, Batman, you want, yeah. I will do a freebie. <laughs> and, and his response to that i'm busy right now keeping the city safe from dark racks roxy what's up like yeah. i think this like i mean obviously i'm not gonna be like oh so that doesn't mean if he wasn't busy it's okay no, it, it's not that but he just like, yeah. the, the it's like a I feel like at that point, I hope that he's using a Bruce Wayne voice instead of a Batman voice. I read it as that. And I also, it's like, it just, it's nice. Like It's, it's just informal. Like, yeah, it's it's informal. It's just like they, he knows he knows these women. He's trying to get them off the street. And obviously it's not easy in a lot of the time. And it kind of comes off as that. And there was like an aspect of Batman or Bruce Wayne I never seen before. I'm like... Do I, am I liking that? <laughs> I was really hoping that you would like at least these parts of this scene because I had a feeling that you might because you know I've I read I've read a lot of like two thousand Batman's comics just and I, I read a few like before this and like there is a tendency to to not you know to use like sex workers or you know vulnerable people as as you know just token props or what have you for like to be murdered or some kind of damage or what have you and there's not really like a kind of empathy or or humanizing in those stories because it's just, you know, grim face noir grittiness. But this is actually Morrison taking a minute or, you know, not even knowing how successful it was in the long run, but at least, but trying to, to have like a different perspective and that more informalness and like a friendliness here that you don't usually see. At least I because, haven't. And, yeah, you know. because I, I feel like nowadays you would see like, you know, it's like, hey, Batman, do you want a freebie? And he'll be like, I'm, I don't do the freebies. No. <laughs> I'm just flying away or something like that. <laughs> no, but, he, you know, I'm glad that that wasn't the case here. He took a time to talk to these ladies and, you know. It's maybe... it's a really touch. It's not touch, but it's like, it's like a gentle moment where he knows the people on the streets, you know. Right. So here's the thing. That I, <laughs> since since we are talking about it, mm-hmm. 
I don't think Grant Morrison's intent at the time is the same as the intent that we can read into it now. I think they were making a pretty purient joke in 2006 and 2007 about if Batman was going to have sex with a sex worker for free. I I think that you could read in a little bit to his response that he responds in a way that um that humanizes her. But I do think it's still a little bit down punching authorially in that moment. However, now with a lot of conversations having advanced in the general public eye about sex work in the last 15 years, I would personally say, um, I think it's way easier to read this as Batman understanding that she's talking about her job. Like, it's not, his job is Batman, her job is sex work. She says, do you want a freebie? He's like, I'm busy, how's it going? You know, like, and I think that was, I kind of read it on both levels. Like, I read it on one, like, okay, Graham Marson, fine, 2006, wink, wink. Now, just, because Marson is not immune to writing some cringe stuff. I mean, we have all read cringe stuff from Marson. But Mm -hmm. I actually think that sometimes Marson can be a little bit ahead of their time. And in this case, it aged well. This is interesting because I really, I genuinely like yeah. always read his response, not like actually seriously, but just more like, like almost like incredibly dry humor. Like I can't, I'm fighting crime. Like I, I didn't think he ever took that seriously. And then also he immediately recognizes Roxy. And then the next page, he also knows Ellie, the other person yeah. with her. Right. They're so right. I feel humans like, to him. They're not, yeah. that's, they're not. Yeah. I think that's yeah. actually the thing that that's the, that's, Grant Morrison yes. did right at the time and has always been right. Batman never treats them like a criminal element here. No. Never once. Exactly. Not, and not, there's like an empathy there. Yeah. And then just before that, he pretty much pinned their pimp with a, with a umbrella. But even with that, he had a different reaction to him because he knows that he's also not the head Honcho. Yeah. If you know, if you know, if you know what I mean. And the thing is, like, the reason I didn't even read thought about your way of thinking because I always thought Grant Morrison is kind of more into the alternative lifestyle. It's not alternative lifestyle, but it, what's the word for it? Like, it's just that like, he's more into the. He's not someone who like into they, sex work. But, yeah, they. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it's. No, it's I, I never, no. I never thought of them that way. So I thought that they were actually making a comment about these sex workers into just a conversation. Yeah. I didn't think yeah. about it, anything more than that. I don't, don't like, want to get too hung up on one line or one scene. I think it's just like, that's the power of Morrison's writing and the power of their Batman. Like there's a lot of times not a right answer. We have, we have to sit and look at it long enough to decide on the message as he referred to in the previous arc. Right. Um, so this, uh, yeah, this ends with a Talia scene where mm-hmm. Talia is reconstructing Damien. Basically, her blow-up Damien play uh, was real, and she did blow mm-hmm. up Damien, and she has a whole lab of Damien organs to be harvested. So that plot is still simmering. I don't think we have to talk too much about that. I think the thing that's... You know, I think the thing that's um, interesting here is that Batman eventually basically just jumps right back out there with the help of Jim, Tim Drake to fight this giant Batbane monster dude. And he's beating him up, deservedly, and also because he's got to put him down. And the police, and he's saying, who's the third man? Because he knows Mm -hmm. there's going to be a third one. And the policemen stop him, who are maybe on the take and maybe not good policemen, or maybe all cops are bad, because the thing that Morrison has him say is, (laughs) uh, you want to beat up citizens? You carry a badge like me. No! (laughs) 
That's that was a great a, line. That was no, no, Larson no. just took a shot, man. I think that, they're being pretty clear about that. I think they're being pretty clear, even for yeah. 2000. No, I don't yeah. think they're endorsing that. No, I do think this scene, you know, when the fight scene's done and Batman's defeated this Bane Batman, there there is a scene, there is a line in a scene I want to circle back to as we get further along is where uh, him and Gordon are just, I know it's like such a stereotypical page of just Batman holding his cape like looking over the city skyline with uh uh gordon it's a great page though and there's this that this interaction where gordon says look at you all beat up to hell why did you have to choose an enemy that's old as time and bigger than all of us and he says same reason you did i figure you can take take him now that is a great line and it actually plays off in it plays out in a really big way mm. down the road um so just even now you know, they're setting seeds for this long story and like in tiny just little lines and moments that speak to bigger thematic resonance that we're going to get into. Um, so I just love this page in this part of the book. Mm-hmm. Anything else about this uh, story for you, you want to add? Oh, I just love that in the end, you know, there was that whole jazz, but he, he was kissing Jazzab, Jazzabal, Jazzabal, Jazz. Yeah. And uh, there was like, you know, people were taking uh, pictures and everything. Um, you know, part of me was kind of thinking how much of it he wants to do with Natalia, but he, I don't know whether he <laughs> knows that Talia's alive or not, but I'm like, oh, Talia's not going like this. And this, this is the Talia I'm used to where she's still yes. really into Batman, but she's like, I've got my own thing. I'm in control. Yeah. I will. She has more like respect here. I kind of feel, but we've, we've talked about that before where it seems right. she's more like he will come to me rather than I'm going to chase this man to the ends of the earth. You know what I kind of deal? Oh with? gosh, I got the. 180 degree different read on Tali here, but I don't want to linger Sweet. on that conversation. <laughs> we'll, right. We're going to have room to come back to it because we'll we come have, to yeah. one more issue, issue 666. And uh, I'm not going to be commenting on this issue, not because I think it is demonic, but because I just cannot bring an ounce of my person to care about alternative future stories. <laughs> like it, it was, it, but let me just summarize it and then Harry and Free can take you through what's interesting. Mm-hmm. Damien, Damien is Batman in the future. We learned that Damien was grown in an artificial womb. Uh, Damien in the future is sparring with uh, the police commissioner, Barbara Gordon, quoting Yeats, Yeats back and forth with her. Uh, we get a mention of the demon star, which is going to come up later. And yes. Damien mentions that he sold his soul at age 14. And it's yes. hard to know with Damien if that is little or not. Otherwise, I had a blackout. That's all that I was able to write down. <laughs> Harry, what do people need to think right. about when they're reading issue 666? This is not my favorite issue, but it is a very interesting issue because it's like half an imaginary story where it's just an alternate tale of a Batman from the future. But it's also half a story that is very much setting up multiple things that are going to play out uh, in in um, Batman and Robin in particular. I mean, Professor Pig gets introduced here. You have the third Batman with the mask that just gets put here. And then there's also, you know, there's a, you know, Damien selling his soul to the devil. That doesn't like play out exactly in later issues, but there's something very, very similar. So it's just this weird thing where this issue is setting up things here that play out in different yet similar ways later in the book. It's like a a half and half. You could almost say it's not really much of anything because it never kind of completes either of those things. But um I think this issue's fine, and um, it also has Alfred. Uh, it also has Alfred the cat, which uh, <laughs> is pretty great. I knew Freya I, I, would like that. <laughs> I I don't hate this. I've never loved it, but like it definitely is weird. Where it is like having the shape of things to come while 
not at the same time. It's more like getting us used to some ideas that we'll mm. see later. Freya? So one thing, first thing for us is like uh, Morrison is being drawn as Damien in this. Like <laughs> yeah, Damien doesn't, it, uh, doesn't have a uh, have hair and then it looks like Morrison. Um, mm-hmm. And then the second thing, I actually thought that this was a fever dream of Batman, Bruce Wayne. Like when mm-hmm. he he was like you know uh, put like you know he he was uh, injured in the previous issue, um, that's how I read it. I mean I don't know like you know what all the things are gonna happen, but you know Alfred the cat takes the cake. Takes the cake. This, this, this is not the last we've seen of this world, by the way. I, no, this, will... this is the same one that comes back in Detective <laughs> Comics. No, no, Titanian. It's, it's, I won't say. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, it's the same one. Oh, it's the cool. same, no, same this, look about it. Mor- Morrison revisits this world, um, I think, in a much better way because uh, there's a different artist. But we will get to that down the line. Um, it's what it is. It's just it's. And I think I honestly, part of me has always been like, did Morrison? Did they just want to write like a hellish Batman story for six six six? Like, was that the entire idea? Sometimes I feel like that might have been it, but who can say? Yeah, and I think if we really want to dig into, like, there's a lot of thematic stuff, I think, in this issue that plays out, I think, in the art and also in the writing of it. But because we're not trying to spoil ahead, I I think if we were asking Harry, Harry, tell us every way in which this issue is significant to this run, we would have a different conversation, but we're we're trying not to do that. So if you're looking for that kind of, like, academic breakdown panel by panel, that's not this conversation. Yeah, and I think, like, every Batman run needs a future look. There's always there's always gonna be one issue that's about looking ahead in the future, and the whole point of the rest of the run is to avoid that future to happen. It's so, it's like a yeah, it's an odd edge world kind of tale of like dark Batman who kills, but also it it's I've already said what I meant. It's just it's an interest it's an interesting hybrid of things that don't matter and do, and also mm. just kind of like being an aside. It, it's more interesting than not, but I I just don't love the issue. Mm. Mm. All right, folks, that is our first big chunk of Grant Morrison Batman. It sets up a lot of what's going to happen in this run. I like, I think it's like a lot of setup. And then yeah. the, the stuff really starts happening, starting with mm-hmm. this next story, The Black Glove, which we're going to be reading in, in the next episode. And then we're also going to read past that to the um, issues that follow The Black Glove, basically all the way through 675. You will note that there is a break for a crossover, The Resurrection of Ra's al Ghul, in the middle of that. We are going to read it, but we're not going to read it next episode because the stories don't really refer to it. And so we don't want to break up uh, our reading. Harry, anything that you would add to that? Uh, no, I just think that, um, you know, Razzle, the Resurrection of Razzle Ghoul is something I haven't read either. I'm really excited about that. But like, uh, you know, this book only gets better and better, I feel. I feel like the first act is uh, definitely just a lot of setup and, you know, some shaky stuff at that. So, um, you know, just as we get more into this, it's going to get weirder and it's going to get more fun. And uh, I'm just loving talking about it with everybody. And I'm glad that you all are listening, too. Freya, why is it, by the way, that we're doing this? Why do we get together and read Batman? So, I, I don't know yet. I don't know. I mean, like, well, first of all, Harry made us, so that's I, one. Oh, yeah, that's Harry right. Harry's a yeah. cool taskmaster. Cool taskmaster. Second, I also spent $115 to get all three omnibus from Target. <laughs> that's a deal. Yeah, that's that, really is, a, that yeah, is a, a steal. Yeah, that is a steal. 
And then the second, third thing is like, I feel like as I'm reading it more, I'm getting this uncomfortable feeling of loving Batman Bruce Wayne, which I am. You, uh, you literally about. sound, you sound like the Grinch oh. learning about the true meaning of Christmas right now. Just like, oh my God, my heart is growing Stop. in size. <laughs> Stop. Please. That's a fictional uh. character I identify with very deeply. So I, maybe <laughs> oh, I'm too. also going down. Free me and I too, are like Grinches so. through and through. Um, yeah. So maybe we're going to have a, you know. a, a come to so, Christmas moment. So, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know yet why we're doing this. I mean, I guess, like, you know, fall in love with Batman more. I don't know. We, we're figuring out as we're going. You know, we're figuring it out. Well, we really appreciate you reading with us and figuring it out along with us. This is really fun to do, as I always mm-hmm. have fun talking about comics with, with my friends here. But it's fun to just talk about comics. So thank you for having some fun, hopefully listening to us talk about comics here on our Crushing Comics book club for Grant Morrison's Batman. Until we get to talk to you again about it, uh, on behalf of myself, Freya, and Harry, thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you are well. Bye.